0: Chapter 22, Gross Domestic Product, by Dan O'Neill Gross Domestic Product, GDP, is an indicator of economic activity. It measures the total value of all final goods and services that are newly produced within the borders of a country over the course of a year. Its predecessor, Gross National Product, GNP, was initially developed in the 1930s to help America get out of the Great Depression. At the time, the government lacked comprehensive data on the state of the economy, making it difficult to know whether policy responses were working or not. Russian-American economist Simon Kuznets prepared the first set of national GNP accounts. His basic idea was simple, to collapse economic production data into a single number that would go up at the good times and down in the bad. The system of national accounts developed by Kuznets proved to be invaluable during the Second World War. It allowed America to locate unused capacity in the economy and exceed the production levels that many had thought possible. As Cobb et al., 1995, remark, in the United States the Manhattan Project got much more glory, but as a technical achievement the development of the GNP accounts was no less important. Following the end of the war, the Employment Act of 1946 turned GNP into official economic policy in the U.S. In 1953, the United Nations published its international standards for a system of national accounts. The ideas of Simon Kuznets had come global. Through proper fiscal management and detailed knowledge of economic performance, as measured by GNP, economists began to believe that they could finally master the dreaded business cycle and ensure rising prosperity. Cobb et al. 1995. Nevertheless, GNP was not universally accepted. The Soviet Union used a different measure of economic progress, net material product, which included physical goods but excluded services. Services were not counted as primary income in the socialist approach, and, but were considered the result of its distribution. Throughout the Cold War, the two indicators were used as propaganda tools, with both the US and Soviet Union claiming higher rates of economic growth based on their respective indicators. When the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, forever, however, GNP became the only game in town. In the same year, Gross National Product was quietly replaced by Gross Domestic Product. Although the two indicators are closely related, there is an important difference. With GNP, the earnings of a multinational company are attributed to the country where the company is owned and where the profits end up. With GDP, on the other hand, the profits are attributed to the country where the factory is located and resource extraction occurs even if their profits leave the country. This change in national accounting has had important consequences, in particular lending support to globalization. As Kabat-R 1995 put it, the nations of the North are walking off with the South's resources and calling it again for the South. As early as 1934, Simon Kuznets warned that the welfare of a nation can scarcely be inferred from a Measurement of National Income, Cobb et al. 1995. By 1962, Kuznets had become an outspoken critic of the way in which his system of accounts was being used and interpreted, stating that goals for more growth should specify more growth of what and for what. The basic problem is that GDP does not distinguish between good and bad economic activity, but counts all activity the same. If I buy a beer or a new bicycle, this contributes to GDP. If the government invests in education, this also contributes to GDP. These are both expenditures that we would probably count as positives. However, if there is an oil spill that taxpayers must pay to clean up, this also contributes to GDP. If more families go through costly divorce proceedings, the money spent contributes to GDP war, crime, and environmental destruction all contribute to our main indicator of national progress. It is a calculator with a giant plus button, but no minus button. At the same time, GDP does not count many beneficial activities such as household or volunteer work, because no money changes hands. If I wash my own laundry, this doesn't contribute to GDP, However, if I pay you $10 to wash my laundry, and you pay me $10 to wash yours, then GDP would go up by $20, even though the number of clean shirts would not have changed. A further problem is that GDP provides no information on income distribution. Even if GDP per capita goes up, the average person may be no better off if the additional income goes to those at the top. An unequal distribution of income and wealth implies unequal opportunities for people across society. Vandenberg, 2009 A strategy of forever increasing GDP is particularly worrisome, given that a number of social indicators suggest growth is no longer improving people's lives, in wealthy nations see social limits of growth. Beyond an average income of about $20,000 a year, additional money does not appear to buy additional happiness. US presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy was particularly critical of GDP, warning in 1968 that GDP measures neither our wit, not our courage, neither our wisdom, nor our learning. Neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country; it measures everything in short, except that which makes life worthwhile. Despite these criticisms, GDP maintains its power. The economic, the economics profession has become locked in a kind of groupthink, where the desi- desire for conformity. Is stifling independent thinking and causing the profession to avoid raising controversial issues or proposing alternative solutions. Policymakers fear that insufficient growth will lead to economic instability and rising unemployment, even though the empirical evidence for this view is weak. Faria Monti argues that GDP is not just a number but a way of organizing society based on the idea. That markets are the only producers of wealth. To challenge GDP is therefore to challenge the market economy itself. This is the true then replacing if this is true, then replacing GDP is fundamentally a political project, not a technical one. Nevertheless, there is a growing recognition around the world that GDP is a poor measure of progress and a heightened desire to do something about it. The Commission on the Measurement of Economic Performance and Social Progress, established by former French President Nicolas Sarkozy and chaired by two Nobel Prize-winning economists, concluded that one of the reasons the global economic crisis took people by surprise is that we were focusing on the wrong indicators. Stieglitz et al. 2009. So what are the right indicators, particularly if our goal as a society shifts from growth to degrowth? It might be tempting to use GDP as an indicator of degrowth and just change the target, e.g. from plus 3% a year to minus 3% a year, but this would not be a good idea. Although a decline in GDP might signal a reduction in environmental pressure, it would not really reveal whether the level of economic activity was environmentally sustainable. Moreover, a decline in GDP would not necessarily tell us anything about social progress. GDP is a poor indicator of progress, and changing the target on a poor indicator does not alter its fact. To paraphrase the ecological economist Herman Daly, the best thing we can do with GDP is to forget about it. In order to measure degrowth, A different approach that includes two separate sets of indicators is required. First, a set of biophysical indicators to measure how society's level of resource use is changing over time and whether this level of resource use is within ecological limits. And second, a set of social indicators to measure whether people's quality of life is improving. I say sets of indicators as opposed to a single indicator to emphasize that degrowth may have many goals and each of these may require its own indicator. This is a key difference between degrowth and neoclassical economics, which focuses on the single goal of utility maximization. Based in part on the declaration from the first international degrowth conference held in Paris in 2008. I have created a set of degrowth accounts to measure whether degrowth is occurring and how socially sustainable it is. See O'Neill 2012. These accounts include seven biophysical indicators, such as material use, energy use, CO2 emissions, ecological footprint, human population, livestock population, and built capital, and nine social indicators, such as happiness, health, equity, poverty, social capital, participatory democracy, working hours, unemployment and inflation. They do not include GDP and neither should any modern set of economic indicators. GDP evolved in an era when the challenges facing society were very different than they are today. We are no longer facing the need to maximize wartime production. Instead we are facing the need to improve the well-being of all people within the environmental constraints of a single planet. If wealthy nations decide to change their goal from the pursuit of economic growth to the pursuit of sustainable degrowth, then they will also need to change the way they measure progress. They will need to abandon GDP and replace it with more relevant information.